hello, gentle listener. That's who you are. Welcome to Michael and Ethan in a Room with Scotch. That's who we are. And who I am is your host, Michael Lilienthal. And who he is, who are you? I'm not participating in this. This reminds me of that old Monty Python sketch where there's a woman in, like, in the waiting room. And the doctor comes in and he's like, Mrs. Jones? And she's like, me, doctor? And he says, no, you, Mrs. Jones. Me, me doctor. doctor. And yeah. Uh, I am Ethan Bartlett. And... Yep. I'm Michael's guest. Yep, that's who you are. Which I admit with reluctance, (laughs) but I didn't see a way around it, so I did. There is no way around it. That's what I was afraid of. That's who we are, and that's how it's going to be for the next hour as we continue discussing this book, Plain Song, by Kent Huff. Good good job holding it up so everyone could see it. Yeah, yeah, you know, we talked about this. I know we did. Physical bits, and I fell back into it. Yeah, you did. Because I can't escape my nature. It's like if there's a good thing that you want to do... Like, you don't do it. But the evil that I don't want to do, that I keep on doing? Yeah. That's a really eloquent thing we just made up. It is. Yeah, we just were off really the top good. of our heads. That was brilliant. Do you ever, do you ever uh, completely unrelated to that, do you ever <laughs> say something and then just get the tingling sensation that you're about to be struck by divine lightning and killed? <laughs> <laughs> I can't say I've personally experienced that, but I'm going to just inch away from you for a little bit. <laughs> you participated too. Like, if the lightning's coming for one I wash my hands of this. <laughs> oh, good. Do with it as you will. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, sure. I'm the one who's going to get struck by lightning now. <laughs> uh, so, we've been, for the past two weeks, drinking this scotch called Bruchlidach's. Uh, Bruchlidach. You said it. You said it like a champ. Last I did episode. last time. I'm having difficulty. Well, that was because you've been drinking for two weeks. Two in a row. week. You know, try drinking anything for two weeks. And yeah, even like problem. water. Like water, drink it two if, weeks straight. That's if, give if you nothing problems. else, you'll you'll pee all the time. All the time. It won't stop. So let's stop that mental image. So, yeah. Uh, Especially we, because we're about to be not allowed to pee. Exactly. Like I, we are not. Uh, about <laughs> good work. to good work okay. on that phrasing. What? I'm very proud of you. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> we are drinking brucladic. Bru- yeah, I'm gonna I get think, this. Brucladic. Yeah. Did I get it? Brucladic. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Brucladic Scottish in, barley, the classic laddie. And as an expert Un- in the Scottish, Isla single malt Scotch whiskey. In the Scottish language and culture, uh, I stamp. Your pronunciation with the stamp of approval. Well, thank you for that. You're I appreciate welcome. that stamp. Uh, um, yeah, I know it was a weird place for me to, to stamp, but... Yeah, you know, I would have appreciated if you'd gone, like, two inches higher, but... Yeah, but then I wouldn't have been right on your right nipple. I know. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> I know. I like, I like being weird. Uh, so, in a moment, we are going to continue to drink Brucladic Scottish Barley, the classic Laddie Unpeated Islay Single Malt Scotch Whiskey, and discussing Plain Song by Kent Haruff. I did that all in one breath, you'll notice. That was notice. very good. Also Thank in one you very sentence. Much. Uh, and in one sentence, yes. Uh, but before that, we are going to clink our glasses. But before that, we're going to tell you the rules. The rules are, Ethan, would you like to summarize the rules? I would. Or now, read the them? rules go into effect once we clink the glasses. Correct. So the rules are, number one, once the scotch is poured and glasses have clinked with salutations, no one shall mention the scotch. If the scotch is mentioned by any porty party, another porty, another porty party, porty party, party party shall prescribe a punishment in the from 
of a verbal stunt. Uh, I used good handwriting on that. <laughs> I think you said from, though. Like, no, I look totally at that. didn't. Look at that. That's totally formed. Okay. That's, that's an O and that's an R after it. <laughs> In the forum of a verbal <laughs> stunt. You know, a funny thing happened on the way there the other day. <laughs> You're welcome, three people. <laughs> uh, to be performed by the offender by the end of the currently being recorded episode. <laughs> you hate me for that sentence, I don't hate you? you for that sentence. Um, structure. Sentence structure. Yes. Technically. This penalty shall apply to the one who trespasses any of the rules herein prescribed herein. <laughs> you didn't write herein twice. I didn't. No, I didn't. Uh, with my mouth. I wrote it with my mouth. <laughs> Good job. Number two. No mention of any mothers in a derogatory, pejorative, or any other than purely literary, <laughs> literary sense shall be uh, tolerated from any party. Three. Any guest... Appearing on the podcast has the privilege to ask Ein another rule, a new rule. Number four. Michael shall not make mention of vampires unless textually quested. Uh, I forgot what that word is. I, I'm not looking unless at it. Unless textually quoted. Quoted. I, I, I like quested better. Quested. Number five. Ethan shall not utter the phrase first paragraph even if literally sound <laughs> number six if it is literally sound <laughs> so unless the word coming from my mouth literally <laughs> is sound yep <laughs> number six any party that interrupts the podcast to fulfill necessary bodily functions e.g a potty break <laughs> e.g taking a pee you didn't say taking a pee i, I said it you with did. My mouth. yep you totally did Shall lose. Fear of losing, however, ought not prevent the necessary fulfilling of said peeing. <laughs> slash bodily function. Thank I, you. I appreciate I, that. I made that a much cruder last rule than you wrote it. You did. But you did. You made it a lot worse. I'm feeling That's much okay. more like my 1930s hobo persona than my like 1870s Victorian gentleman persona today. See, I never know what I'm going to get when we I do know. this podcast. I know, it's, so it's true. It's a mixed bag Especially here. It's when a you roll of the dice. Put, a, put enough scotch in me. Yeah, it's a, it's a roulette game here. It is, it is. This Give is basically, Ethan scotch and you'll wind up with something. This is basically... <laughs> <laughs> Literally true. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this is basically a podcast about gambling, and also drinking, <laughs> and also literature. The three things, things that my 1870s Victorian gentleman persona tells me will lead to the corruption of society. Yeah, and, you know, here we are, 130, 140, almost 150 years later, you know, yeah. getting all those decades yeah. in, and, you know, it, yeah, it's true. It, it is happened. true. It is true. Uh, yep. yeah. So. Are you, are you ready to clink the glasses? I'm all set. L'chaim. Slancha. So we need to keep talking about this book. What book? Plain Song by Kent Ruff. Are you going to say that like a dog barking every time? <laughs> every I time. Like, oh, I don't yeah. know how better to say the name Ruff. No, it does. That's exactly what it sounds like. Um, I, I recommended this book to, to uh, my boss at work, and she immediately was wondering what... Uh, ethnicity? Like, yeah, ethnicity her yeah. would be. That's an interesting question. We concluded maybe like Icelandic, but... I honestly uh, have that could be. no idea that could be. really whether that... He looks kind of like Teddy Roosevelt, based yeah. on his author photo. Yeah, he does. 
Uh, and it really doesn't say. I mean, he's just sort of from the from the he's, Midwest. Yeah, he's from the Midwest, South, Southern Illinois. Illinois. Yeah. Yeah, he's from Illinois. But he's writing. Are about you sure Colorado. about that? You sure he's from Illinois? Illinois. It's what it says twice. It says the word Illinois in his little well, bio. You, you just said the word Illinois like five times, and I think four of them had question marks on them. <laughs> so I'm starting to doubt your authority on this matter. But we established last episode that I was the authoritative voice. Has that changed? The what voice? The authoritative. Authoritative. <laughs> authoritative. Oh, uh, so. It's not a hard word. <laughs> and yet, how many times did you just myth it? Like twice. At least four times. <laughs> well, I think twice is actually more accurate. But I, I I was originally giving you crap more because I like the pronunciation of authoritative. <laughs> authoritative. <laughs> authoritative. <laughs> it's totally a word now. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Hashtag, it's a word now. Hashtag, it's a word now. <laughs> Why, you know, I always hear people coming up with these long hashtags, and I admit I am not on the Twitter all <laughs> that much. That's what the kids call it now, the tweeter. Oh, is that um, is that what it is? Okay. Yeah, because you can't you can't use like the correct vowels and call it the tweeter. You have to be cool and hip and I don't even use think the, the tweeter vowels. is the right vowels. <laughs> <laughs> no, the tweeter is what Craig Ferguson always used to call oh, okay. it on the show. Um, and Craig Ferguson is always correct. Yep. So number one life lesson. <laughs> yep. Uh, including in his stand up special when he said, "Never drink Guinness and do acid." <laughs> He said leprechauns <laughs> flew out his ass. <laughs> and he was correct. Uh, like that actually happened? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, like that's a, it's a chemical reaction. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. I'm talking about I hashtags. wouldn't blame you if you like deleted the last minute or so. It's all of, gone. It's all gone. The listener all gone. will never What's know gone? what happened. What happened to what? What? I what? don't know. Who what are, are you talking about? Where are we? <laughs> oh no, I deleted too much. <laughs> You deleted my brain. <laughs> See, this is why we should hire interns. <laughs> what? Why? <laughs> so that they can do that work and not delete your brain. <laughs> so you're implying that if we had interns, the right stuff would get deleted and the not right stuff would not get deleted. Correct. Because I obviously can't be trusted with this stuff. <laughs> well, you did just delete my brain in the Ex- future. So. Point made. Yeah. In the future, I deleted your brain. See, because my instinct was like, won't don't interns always like do a worse job? Because they're interns, they're like practically apprentices. But I think it would be hard to do a worse job than deleting my brain in the future. So maybe you do have a point. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, what are we talking about? Playing song by Kent Huruff. Huruff. Uh, we made the point last time that this could arguably be the coming of age story for Ike and Bobby. Yes. Uh, I want to change text just a little bit. And say that the story is about Victoria. Um, really, is I don't mean story. that because the story is about all of about them. About all it of them does parallels. Like there are such clear parallels. You've got one mm. instance where, which we also mentioned at the end of the last episode. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Um, but towards the end of the book, um, Guthrie goes off on the this antagonist family with Russell. I forgot the name again. Beckman. Beckman. Beckman? Russell That's Beckman? what you said last episode, anyway. That's what I said. It's so... been now two a month and two weeks since I read this book. So. Right. No, it's Beckman. Look, I turned to a page where it says Beckman. Oh, um, well, that's clear proof that it's definitely proof. Beckman. Proof. Beckman. Uh, so Guthrie goes over to the Beckman's house after finding out that Russell Beckman and his friend and his girlfriend kidnapped Ike and Bobby, Guthrie's sons, uh, took off their pants and shoes and threw them in a ditch and made them walk home for five miles. 
in the cold. Uh, so he went over to confront them and got really super overprotective. Uh, and this comes pretty close to an occasion when the McFerrin brothers uh, are super overprotective of Victoria in the doctor's office. Yeah. And the same emotion pervades there. So that, you know, emphasizing that's, that's really the instance that's sticking out in my mind, but it's it's happened a few times throughout the book where you get a chapter and there's some high emotion or some event that occurs. And then in the next chapter, it's different characters, but the same emotion or same core event occurs right so the parallels are going through so while it is the coming of age story of ike and bobby it is also the story of victoria as she begins uh by you know being pregnant getting kicked out of the house by her mother goes and stays with a teacher Uh, the teacher takes her to stay with these old men the mcferrin brothers uh, and she stays with them. She goes off with her boyfriend, comes back from Denver, so it's has really the baby. Her coming of, of age story. It too. is a coming of age story for her. And it occurs to me as you're talking here, it's also a coming of age story for the McFerrin brothers. Yes. Uh, you know, there's clearly uh, it's not maybe spelled out explicitly. Well, it, it kind of is that their parents died in a in a car crash. Right? Yeah. And they sort of their ended parents... up raising each mm-hmm. sort of raising themselves and each other. Um, and any any sort of traumatic, you know, childhood event like that is going to uh, impede sort of the natural development mm-hmm. of, of humans. So in a sense, these guys have, um, you know, in, in sort of a very, like, sweet and kind way, but they've they've sort of fallen into this, like arrested development like they know yeah. their little world and they're they're very kind and and you know charitable in the best mm-hmm. sense in their own little world but it's a it's a world with very circumscribed borders mm-hmm. um you know they know it's they know each other they know uh um guthrie um they know how to interact with his kids yep. and both really help them sort of grow but also make them feel comfortable there's a line in there where like one of them is being sort of sort of sarcastic or whatever and and he winks at the boys and there's a line that's something like and then the boys knew it would be okay yep Uh, Yep. you know so they they know all this but um they've really never had to deal with uh i guess it's really something that you mentioned last time is like they've never had to deal with women yeah you know they've they've really and they they have the line in there that i think is one of um, from things I've I've read a little bit is like one of the more oft quoted lines in this book, and I don't remember it off the top of my head uh, exactly. But it's basically like, you know, women have ways and mysteries that like we can't even fathom. Yes. Like, do you really want a woman here? Like, we, you know, we literally mm-hmm. don't know what we're getting. Into. <laughs> we have no idea what's going to come. Yeah. Uh, so no, that uh, and the coming of age actually really ties in with the theme of womanhood and women. Yeah. In this book. Uh, so, okay, trace just those three. Uh, Ike and Bobby, right. Victoria, and the McFerrin brothers. Right. Just those three. And we could tie in Guthrie here, but, like, he's he's related. Uh, really, any character that has a title chapter named after yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, does, does Maggie have one named after her? She I don't might. know. But, anyway, uh, those I characters. Don't know that, I don't know that she has even a real arc. Um, no, she she doesn't have an arc. She sort of she sort of stays the same. She's almost mm-hmm. the one. She's almost actually now that I'm saying this out loud, she's almost like the 
the linchpin or the lodestone, like, the center of, of this yep. world. Like, she's... Yep. She is the one that connects all the other characters, yeah. really. Um, you know, and it, it occurs to me that, like, well, the other characters are, in a sense, and the community, in a very real sense, is sort of the classical hero of the story, mm-hmm. in the sense that they're they're in one sort of mental and physical place at the beginning, and then their arc something takes different. them through to something different, some form of growth. Um, Maggie is almost uh, what you call classically a catalyst hero. Yeah. Um, which is sort of a, a hero that really doesn't change themselves but they are the the catalyst for change in people around them Mm -hmm. um and like pop culture you know versions of a cat or or examples of a catalyst hero um they seem to have been really popular in the 80s like in in early 90s like that's where all of my pop culture examples come from like ferris bueller and ferris bueller's day off you know, mm-hmm. he he never really he's the same at the end of the movie as he is at the beginning. Right. But everyone around him sort of grows and changes. Mm-hmm. Um, same with Marty McFly in uh, Back to the Future. You know, he he has some experiences, but character wise, he's pretty much the same. But he mm-hmm. helps everyone that he encounters grow. Um, Sometimes literally just changing them entirely by changing the past. <laughs> right, right. Causing them to be different people. Right. Uh, you know, and there are some other examples. I guess a more recent example, uh, Moana in the in the film Moana. Yeah, sure. Kind of is a... Yeah, you, you can know, make she, that argument. She, uh, you know, she certainly grows up over the course of the movie and there's some coming of age stuff with her. But specifically character-wise, she is more or less the same person at the end of the of the movie as she is she's just more of the person that she was that she in the was beginning. already yeah mm-hmm. but she changes um oh, i forget the name of the maui yeah maui she changes him you know she she kind of changes her father you know um and that's that's sort of where where maggie is i think in this story is, yeah. is she serves as the catalyst for change in a lot of other people sure um but almost her character note is that she she knows who she is and she's very much mm-hmm. who she is. You know, when Guthrie is a uh, uh, yeah. sort of sleeps with the the hot young thing in the mm-hmm. in the office um, after having you know not necessarily made like specific promises to Maggie, but certainly some implications. Yeah, her her whole reaction is essentially like you know if you want me, I'm here, but I'm not going to play some kind of game. Yep, you know and that like, might be exactly her line. Yeah, fact. yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. No, and that actually bringing up Maggie brings up an interesting point with all of this too, um, with this theme of woman. Um, but okay, so Ike and Bobby, at the beginning, they love their mommy. Yeah. At the end, they effectively bury her. Right. Uh, so their relationship to their mother has changed. Right. Uh, and. Whereas the, at the beginning, they are basically dependent on her, even though she's not really providing that for them necessarily. Right. By the end, they've divorced themselves entirely from her. Right. Um, for the McFerrin brothers, at the beginning, they have no woman. Mm-hmm. At the end, they are dependent upon this woman. Like, uh-huh. how many times isn't the state of their kitchen described? <laughs> and when she's not there, it's a mess. It's uh-huh. horrible. Including she's before there. she comes. Yeah. Yeah, before she comes, then she comes and she fixes it. She yeah. takes care of it all. Yeah. And so, like, uh, at the same time, they are also providing for her. Right. And they are very protective of her and caring for her. So it's a symbiotic relationship. But 
they depend on her as well. Right. And so, like, their their story arc is almost, as as it relates to women, the opposite of Ike and Bobby's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, then Victoria's, at the beginning, she is kicked out by her mother. Right. And at the end, she is caring for another young girl. Right. Uh, so, she is kind of in between those two, where she, you know, losing one, gaining another. Right. Um, in, you know, changing the role from being provided for to providing right uh so that that whole idea and then guthrie kind of does a similar trade where he's gotten rid of his wife experimented with whatever young thing that he bumps into at the bar (laughs) uh and then winds up with maggie which is arguably healthier for him right Um, yeah definitely healthier than than either of the alternatives seem to be right right given that that limited field of Right. Options, yeah. Uh, But you brought up Maggie, who, you know, kind of does stay the same throughout the whole book, but she has an interesting relationship where she is living with her father who has dementia. Right. And caring for him. And so it's it's, uh, another similar reversal where it's not about her, it's about what she provides. Right. It's about what she gives. Right. And that, that fascinating connection between the growth of characters and how they relate to women... Is very interesting. Right. Um, another connection I want to make here, and I, I almost want to go back through the book and try to delineate this specifically, uh-huh. but uh, women are related to the symbol of light okay, and to various religious symbology or uh, just airs. Huh. Um, there, I, I marked it down. There are several specific occasions where it's described as something religious occurring, uh, and the last one is when the McFerrin brothers go into the, the delivery room. Oh. And they go in holding their hats, uh-huh. and it's described as though they came into a religious service late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, um, you know, they're approaching this woman who is doing, like, her role, giving birth to this child, which she's right. also very worried about. And it, it's it's something powerful. It's something they don't understand. Right. Uh, and in that very sense, you know, going back to that line that you quoted where, you know, there's this woman. Who, women have ways that are beyond <laughs> our understanding. Right. You know, that's, that's something that's, that, that connects women essentially to the divine in yeah, this Yeah, that's book. true. Because that's exactly the sort of terminology a lot of the great religious writers over the years have used about God. Mm-hmm. You yep. can't understand God's ways. Right? Uh, and in this whole book, too, women take on all sorts of roles. You know, from from the, the infant who is born, the unnamed infant, we right. might add, uh, who is born to Victoria, to, you know, the Maggie who cares for people, or, or this other old woman uh, that we pointed out in the middle of the book uh, who cares for Ike and Bobby when their mother has gone away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, you know, the, the womanhood takes on a spectrum yeah. throughout this whole book. Right. Uh, and... Uh, that whole spectrum being what woman means is right. that mystery. Like, how can a woman be this and this right, right. <laughs> and everything in between? And you could you could definitely argue that that manhood takes on a similar spectrum throughout mm-hmm. the book. Um, and we could we could sort of delineate that in in sort of similar terms to to what you just said. Um, you know, from from Ike and Bobby, who are very sort of dependent and and Guthrie. Mm-hmm. Has to, you know, and, and the one time that they're caught vulnerable is when they suffer. And, you know, Guthrie sort of has to, um, at least feels the need to go and protect them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, though, you know, and, and uh, 
it, it just occurs to me that that the old woman is protecting them in a in a similar way mm-hmm. you know that she's protecting them from the full brunt of the loss of their mother that like yep. the adult reader has trouble understanding let alone these two little <laughs> yeah. boys um, yeah you know oh, so yeah you know so so there is it in it as you're talking here it reminded me of a phrase i encountered uh i believe it was either in undergraduate or grad school when i was writing a paper um some sort of of literary analysis sort of paper and if i remember right the phrase was bionic feminism um which i just adored partly as a, a science fiction nerd for the fact that you can use bionic in a you know, in a legitimate critical uh, theoretical t- framework here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and now again, I'm I'm remembering back over years. Uh, it's been years since I read this paper, and I I don't claim I fully understood it even at the time because it was a pretty, you know, advanced uh, paper. But as I understood it, there was there was a, a form of feminism that this ar- author was was arguing. Um, sort of wanted to do away with men altogether. That that women mm. like had to triumph over men, become superior over men, uh, and um, you know just sort of get rid of men or make men subservient. Um, and she was saying there's another form of feminism that's essentially I think she called it binary, where men have this one role or set of roles and women have this other role or set of roles and like never the twain shall meet and that that it's sort of almost like uh two planks of wood glued together um so an historianism yes <laughs> uh i was wondering if you were going to take us there and uh i admit myself unsurprised that you did but yes that essentially you know these were these were two just very again binary you know if if man is one thing woman has to be the the opposite thing right you know that kind of thing um, but what the author of this paper was arguing for was this idea of bionic feminism, um, or I, I think that was the term. She certainly used the word bionic, if not feminism, it was like sort of relations between men and women. And it was much more this idea um, that anyone who has experience with sort of a, a community um, of individuals, like it should ring true with them. This idea, not that there's like a binary, but that like everything is sort of intertwined hmm. you know the this idea that like um you know there and and as i remember the this this feminist theorist as feminist theorists often do had you know a very um you know she she didn't think that like men and women were just different names for the same thing she thought they were very distinct but she thought that the ideal situation is that they're in a community and that their roles and that their actions are so intertwined and dependent on each other that effectively you couldn't separate one from the other. Hmm. Um, that, you know, and then, of course, sort of the feminist logic there then goes that that if like a part of this community is sort of downtrodden or or mm-hmm. uh, abused that that hurts the whole community. Right. Which is almost a stronger argument than if if it's a much more binary thing. Because yeah. one can triumph over the other. Correct. Um, so that's just like what sort of everything you're saying here was making me uh, sure. remember back to. And I wish I could remember like the author's name or the name of the paper or anything else about it. But um, 
think my main takeaway from that at the time was that term bionic, uh, bionic feminism or whatever it was. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, well, just the, the whole relation of men and women in this book is a fascinating thing. Yeah. You, you could just take the whole thing as a study of how men and women interact or how men act toward women and how women react, because that tends to be how it is. The women yeah. are all reactionary right. in this book. Uh, or, you know, as part of that reactionary nature, just not reacting. Right. Uh, there's, you know, the instance when um, uh, you find out that it's Russell Beckman uh, and his friend and his girlfriend uh, who kidnap Ike and Bobby and right. take them out into the into the country. There's a big dialogue. I mean, as as big as a plain song book uh, can be. <laughs> Uh, between Ike and Bobby, right. where they talk about her, they focus on her right. and how she didn't do anything. Right, and that's part of their their growth. That's part of their coming of age, realizing that they cannot depend upon this woman to do something, and they they, they expect her to do something. They yeah, expect her to help, largely because, because they've sort of been dependent on mother mother figures, figures yes. up to this point. That once their own mother went away, they 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 sort of went to the old old woman and like mm-hmm. the turn of them you know in in the very first reference to her uh when they're delivering their papers towards the beginning of the book it's the the first reference is essentially like uh uh, uh well we have to deal with her right yeah let's get it over with you yep. know it's this, yep. it's this very negative thing and the turn has nothing really to do with anything the old woman does or says it's that they have this need now yep. Um, yeah. because their mother has gone away. And then the next time they go to see her, she's dead. Yeah, yeah. And, like, that, you know, just completing that cycle. You know, every every woman, you could you could see the thesis of, of women with how Ike and Bobby relate to women. Yeah. And, you know, you could take it with their mother. You could take it with this, this other woman. You could take it with that old woman. Uh-huh. Uh, and in the first instance, they're afraid of her, and she's so powerful and beyond them they cannot defend themselves against her yeah then they depend on her they need her and she provides what they need yeah and then they depend on her and need her but she's gone she's dead Mm -hmm. and so they have to figure out what to do next and that's when that's when really they kind of do become the mcfearon brothers because as soon as they find out she's dead then they get on their horse and they go riding out to try to find the mcfearon farm oh yeah and they get lost along the way yeah they eventually find it Right. And it's cold out, uh, but they find their way there, and they go in, and it's described, you know, this connects with the theme of light a right. little bit. Yeah. Uh, but what they find there is this other woman, uh, Victoria, who's right. heavily pregnant. They go in, and it's warm in this house. Yeah. That, that warmth with the light is described, and she fixes them some food and gives right. it to them and cares for them. And so, you know, that need for a woman is found in another woman. Right, right. <laughs> but... Almost, there's almost still sort of a reversal or a shrugging off uh-huh. there, where that's not what they were looking for yep. anymore. No, they um, that there came upon been, them. Yeah, there wouldn't have been growth if they were looking for that. Yeah, they it's in fact in the if, abandonment of it that they found it. Right. If the McFearn like brothers theory, hadn't come out, they would have turned around. Yeah, would, and and you know, in in the abandonment, finding it, it's a very biblical theme, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Weird. Um, what? And also, just the fact, like, that whole scene just is very touching to me in that, like, they, you know, inst- like, as soon as the McFerrin brothers see them, as soon as Victoria sees them, it's like, oh, no, come in here. Like, mm-hmm. you're welcome here. You know, like, I'm gonna fix you food. Like, just the fact of you being in distress 
is enough for for me to welcome you into my home yeah um that's a very like classically monastic sort of a thing the idea you know in the middle ages that monasteries were these refuges from you know sort of the the uh the awfulness of life or the the uh you know hostility of life um you know that 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 this was sort of a refuge um you know again in I guess I'll call it semi-popular culture in the Hunchback of Notre Dame, that idea that, mm-hmm. you know, as soon as you're within the gates of Notre Dame itself, you're... Sanctuary. 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 Yeah, yep. yeah, exactly. This is the safe place, and it is safe. Yeah. Yep. Um, that, uh, the, the relation there, too, where they go in and it's described as they come in and it's warm right. in this place, uh, where there's this light is significant also because if you trace victoria and every time in one of her chapters or where she encounters light Mm -hmm. it's cold huh the light is always cold and i turned to a random page in the book and found (laughs) an instance of it page 195 uh she looked away from him that is Dwayne. uh Uh, the sun was bright but it didn't feel warm um Mm. and that is frequently uh how she connects with light that she goes out in the light and it's cold. Uh, and, you know, we talked about last episode how there's, like, a day progression here. It starts yeah. in the morning, ends in the evening. There's also a season's progression. Yeah. Uh, we go through the winter in all of this, which just kind of sets the stage for Victoria to have cold, bright light. Right. Uh, to, to encounter that cold, bright light. And if you think about that in terms of how she relates to women, right. her mother rejected her. Uh-huh. It's a it's a light. If women are light in, in in how they're connected in this book, her mother is a light, but she's a cold light. Yeah. That rejects her. And then Maggie Jones, you know, helps, but ultimately has to hand her off to somebody else. And so, again, it's a bright light and it's close, but it's also cold. Yeah. And so all of the light that she experiences is cold. But then when these boys come, she can be a warm light yeah. for them. Interesting. It's just a thought I had. <laughs> <laughs> 33 minutes later 33 minutes later um, uh, we you know in the relation with women there's uh, the the idea of control and power sure. connected here too sure. which I think was part of your, your discussion about you know binary versus bionic yeah. woman and you know where the control is coming right. in here and if it, if it is a versus sort of thing right. and with the Beckman family it is all about the men having control over the women you know, Russell oh, yeah. has this control over yeah. his girlfriend, and his father has the same control over his wife. Uh, In and... fact, like the the very first uh, time the the Beckmans period are introduced, it's a major scene of Russell having control over his girlfriend. Yes, um, which you don't even realize it's Russell Beckman at that point. No, you it's don't. Very you don't know. You don't but, know until later. You know, keep talking but that's, about that. But that's what that is. Oh, the only other thing I was going to say is how awful that scene is. So awful. Yeah. Which we could talk about the sex scenes in this book uh-huh. and how actually, like, they're really good. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and and well, that doesn't, sense... that's not what it, what it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, they're, uh, they're really, I don't know that any of them you could really so, describe as titillating. No, exactly. That's that's the word that I want to use to not describe them. <laughs> uh, like, compare it to Game of Thrones, where, yeah. like, you really can't skip a sex scene in Game of Thrones because 
plot happens. Plot happens. But also the sex scene is there to titillate. Yeah. In this, you cannot skip the sex scenes, but they are not there to titillate. Right. Because in Game of Thrones, at least, and I admit, I've watched the first season of the show and read the first book, and that's my whole experience. Um, So, you know, maybe something later contradicts this. But in my experience, plot happens in those scenes, but it doesn't have to happen in those scenes. Like, you could Mm -hmm. rewrite those scenes to not have the sex parts Mm -hmm. and still have the same plot, at least for the most part. Um, You know, whereas, like you say, in this book, uh, you know, you could probably rewrite it to not have the sex scenes, but it would be a different different. book. Very different book. Yeah. Um, Uh, But yeah. yeah, no, with that scene where, you know, okay, so the scene is Ike and Bobby come to this old like abandoned barn or something abandoned house right um and they they look in and okay number one notice the lighting here it's candles yeah uh throughout this so very religious sort of understanding of what's going on here but Uh, even almost oh my gosh actually this is one of those thoughts that like formed as i started to say it good so uh like you said it's it's in this this abandoned shack or house or whatever it is Mm -hmm. um it's lit by candles as i remember sort of the the people having sex are like centered on in this you know it's it's like at the center of the room and so the scene as you were probably about to describe is (laughs) that um this is russell russell beckman russell beckman russell beckman's girlfriend um has essentially i think i i don't yeah I was going to say I don't recall a name for Maybe her. Maybe Sharon, that's I the only name that's coming to mind. I don't ever don't recall names true. for characters, so, you know. Yeah. Anyway, she um, essentially has agreed with Russell to have sex with Russell's friend. male friend. Yeah. Um, not male friend, but male friend. Um, for what I... I was going to say for reasons, I guess the reasons aren't reasons. really named. No, it's basically because Russell has the power. Yeah, exactly. And again, how we started on this through line, the, the whole idea of the Beckmans as this very negative force um, for like exclusively male power, male yep. control. Um, but yeah, because Russell has the power and because he's essentially badgered his girlfriend into this, um, she agrees to just have sex with Russell's friend, and she's very just detached in yep. the, throughout the whole scene. It's like which she she's giving she's allowing his friend this experience because Russell has badgered her into it, but like she's essentially taking back as much power as she as she possibly possibly can, can which is very little mm-hmm. in the circumstances and in the decisions that she's made. Um, by sort of being detached. Okay, what I was originally going to yeah. say, though, when I started this sub-rant within your rant... <laughs> um, I've got another sub-rant, so we'll get that. Excellent. Fin- finish yours, I'll do my okay. sub-rant, and then my further, further rant. So, <laughs> within this whole this whole thing, you could almost say that this is ceremonial sex. Yes! Centered centered in a in a sort of a, um, what you could call a theater, especially with the boys yeah. sort of peering through and watching... To fulfill something that is completely outside of the sex, lit by candles, this is almost taking on uh, aspects of, like, descriptions of, like, Gnostic ceremonies, Gnostic rituals, like, you know, sex magic type stuff. Um, And none of that is, like, explicitly in the text. This is, you know, even more than usual me reading into it. But if we're reading this religious sort of through line and overtone throughout the, the piece... 
that would be where this where this would fit. Yeah, it would be like a you know sort of um, in the way that that sort of these these gnostic um, sort of mystery cults and sex rituals mm-hmm. were almost the antithesis of the early Christians. Like mm-hmm. this would be the antithesis of the the much more sort of humane egalitarian Christian line mm-hmm. running throughout this this piece. Yeah. No, and that actually does connect with my sub rant. Uh-huh. Um, where is this a sub sub rant? It's a sub 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 rant. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, where um, Vic, the, the, that scene is paralleled in a later scene. Okay. Yeah. To an extent, between Victoria and Dwayne, okay. when he comes back after a party that she doesn't want to go to. Yeah. Uh, and m- makes her, you know, serve him. Right. And. She does, and then leaves. Right. And, like, that that itself s- symbolizes the escape yeah. of, you know, her from that Gnostic sort of ritual thing. From that yeah. ritual that's not accomplishing anything. That, Which, again, that is only giving power to the men over her. She escapes it and goes where she actually is provided for. Yeah, and, it, you know, now that we're framing it in all of these terms, like... The, so many the terms. Nos, the Gnostic, sub, 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 rant. Uh, yeah, yeah, sub, 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 rant. Um, the, you know, the, the Gnostics and the mystery cults and so forth often, like, enhance their ceremonies by mm-hmm. the use of hallucinogenic drugs. Oh, man, So yeah. the fact that he comes home high. Wow. You know. Good call. Yeah, right? Man. Um, this was in the context of me ranting about something else. Let me see if I remember. Yeah, we we, um, uh, <laughs> we might have to re- rewind our own recording. Aha, uh-huh, so you admit it. No, you admit I, that we are recording on tape. No, I admit nothing. That was me making noises with my mouth. <laughs> That's all. Uh, that's what did you say to me last night? Uh, you wish. Anyway. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, what I was going to say... Uh, with that scene, that when you encounter that trio again, mm-hmm. they are kidnapping Ike and Bobby. Yeah, right. Um, like that woman and Russell's friend, because they each appear sort of individually in background. Sort of, yeah. Especially but really Russell, but Russell is yeah. is more significant than the other. But yeah, two. the next time that you see all three of them together yep. doing a thing, they're in a car kidnapping Ike and Bobby. Yeah. And they take him off, and Ike and Bobby repeat a couple of times, we didn't do anything to you. Yeah. We didn't do anything to you. They say that at least twice. Uh, Which, again, like, other than the, the like, forced proto-sub-sex scene, second most awful scene in the novel, I'm going to call right here. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it absolutely is. Anytime that trio is there is the worst scene. Yeah, right. Um, uh, Which, you know, we could get into an unholy trinity sort of idea here. Oh, yeah. Boom. Uh, Yeah. So soak that in. Uh, Well, especially with, you know, if if you sort of pervert the, like, classical, like, Thomistic idea of the trinity Mm -hmm. um, and make make sort of the woman the issue of the two men. Yeah. 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 Take that one. All right. Uh, Put it in your pipe and smoke it. Smoke it in your pipe and put it. That's not a phrase. It is now. Not how it works. I said it. You said it, but we're going to ignore it and we're going to move on. Yes, we are. We've just spent like 30 seconds talking about how we're going to ignore it, which to me doesn't sound like ignoring it. 
So this scene uh-huh. where they're talking about this, and I can Bobby say, we didn't do anything, we didn't do anything. Uh, so what the reader is thinking is, you did, you spied on them, and somehow they found out. Because really, sure. that, those yeah. are the only clues okay. that are given. Yeah. Like, they found out that you spied on them, so it's a very personal thing, and they're well, getting their just desserts for this. I mean, the other clues are just that like uh, their dad has been hus- hassling Beckman, and like this sure. is revenge for that. But you don't even know what's... it's Beckman yet. Okay, yeah, sure. Like, that's yeah. that's not clear. He's just this red-haired kid, and I don't think Russell is ever described as a red-haired kid huh. beforehand. Sure, yeah, that's uh, Which, you know, his name, Russell, you could get red-haired out of it, that Rus idea, right. which, you know, is red. Right. <laughs> um, so, Names oh, with like... Michael! <laughs> <laughs> Names with Michael. I don't actually know what the, the noise is, because I don't listen to <laughs> it's our more podcast. Bang! <laughs> <laughs> One of those. Anyway. Can it be retroactively exactly just that? exactly now? that, yes. You have to go back and edit that into Every Names with Michael. Oh, crap. That's a lot of ex- episodes to edit. Anyway. Also, just a lot of, like, fiddly work that fiddly wouldn't work. really be worthwhile. That's why we hire interns. That's right. That's right. Yep. So. No. Okay. Okay. So, uh, continuing that point. So, the reader doesn't really know why they're doing this, just as Ike and Bobby don't really know why they're doing this, but... You suspect, the reader suspects that I can Bobby suspect that it's because they spied on them. And the reader suspects also that it's because they spied on them. Because, uh, you know, we're wrapped up in I can Bobby's perspective. So that's why this horrible thing is happening to them. Right. Because of what they did toward the beginning of the book. Right. And it is about, you know, the same distance from the beginning as from the end from when these two things happened right. in the book. Uh, so, you know, again, it's it's mirrored that way, you know. With the morning and the dusk and sort of thing, um, but uh, so they're they're thinking that it's probably because they saw this happen, uh, and so that's part of why also they don't want to tell their dad what happened. It takes them right. a while to coax yeah. that out of them. They don't sure. want to say what happened to them, partially because Russell and his friend said, Told "If them, you say anything, yeah. we're gonna come back for you and do yeah. worse." But partially, it's also because if they say something, they might also have to say what they did, right? So, you know, it's it's worse for them. But then you come to find out that Russell is doing this because their dad it has been hassling him, you know, not without cause. Right. But he he's been doing that. So that um uh, I feel like I had a fuller point to round this all out and I'm not remembering exactly what it is. <laughs> but the 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 perspectives there. Sure. Being, you know, they're thinking they're getting their just desserts but not liking it. Right. But if they come to find out they're being punished for their father's sins. And then the father you know, realizes, no, that's not fair. And so he's going to go over and fight Russell himself. Right. Right. Which, actually, maybe this is my point, that when, when Guthrie goes to the Beckman house, he doesn't want to talk to the mom. He doesn't want to talk to the, the dad. He wants to talk to the offender. Right. To Russell himself. Bring it back to the one who committed the crime. Right. As opposed to Russell, who wants to punish someone else. Right. Connected. Right. So it's a distortion of justice versus the true justice. Yeah. And even in that scene where Guthrie goes back and talks to them, the, he, he talks about how he he thought he might call the police but didn't. And right. he goes, and the police get called anyway. And so true justice, like the right order of justice, does get involved right. with it whether or not the characters all want it to (laughs) and once again you know guthrie uh even though he's set up 
in a large sense is like the hero and the the father yeah. figure the father he's hero. the first character you meet yeah um you know definitely not without blame both in Absolutely. like as you mentioned last episode in in his treatment of his wife um mm-hmm. you know and even in his which treatment is really of... the scene where he kind of falls out of favor for the reader right like when he and his his separated wife they're talking right. he just comes off as an ass right um and you know you can like sort of read into it pretty easily that like this is because he's just put up with enough bs from her sure and that you know that's that's sort of why but again that sort of you know person like my personal philosophy i i hold very much to the tenet that like if you're treating someone like crap for a reason, you're still treating someone like crap, mm-hmm. you know? So like, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a very vexed scene. And even in this, in this confrontation with Russell, like he certainly doesn't act like textbook what he should or, or what you'd expect from like a teacher and a father and like a, even sort of a community authority figure, mm-hmm. um, you know, and you can understand all the reasons why, like, anyone with kids you threaten the kids you're gonna like uh thank you um thank me for what uh paying attention to the brilliant things i'm saying oh yes of course Uh, i am um, doing that you know anyone like like you know anyone who's who's a father who has has vulnerable people in their charge you can understand why they would when those people are threatened just like like the mcferrin brothers why they would react very sort of uh um at protectively least protectively and like at least with the implication of violence or in yeah. Guthrie's case with actual violence yep. um but it's still like he's he's definitely flawed here uh and i have no idea what the point i was making before like that was you, you brought up the McFearn brothers and you know uh-huh. Guthrie's reaction is you know justified and you know, righteous anger, but also a little bit flawed. Mm-hmm. The McFearn brothers, the only time I can think of where their reaction is flawed is when they're threatening the doctor for, <laughs> for making sure Victoria's baby is okay. <laughs> right? Um, but also, that's so great. It's wonderful. Really, okay, my favorite characters in the book are the McFearn brothers. Yeah. They're, they're wonderful. And if I wanted to meet any character in this book, it would right. be one of the McFearn brothers because they are just wonderful. Right. No, really, I was getting... Uh, have you seen Secondhand Lions? Yeah. yeah. It, it's yeah, basically yeah, yeah. that same yeah. relationship. Which I think two came out men. after this book did. It did definitely come out after this enough. book. It was you know, suspicious. Mm. Uh-huh. Uh, but, uh, you know, in that case, they're taking care of their great nephew. Right. Uh, who's this, you know, innocent young little boy. And they are these crotchety, cranky old men that shoot at everybody and everything. <laughs> But then this oh, boy man, comes I in watch and that movie open now. up. We, we're gonna we're gonna watch it. Uh, but they, you know, they they regain their youth, and you find mm-hmm. out more about them. And with the McFerrin brothers in this book, they're crotchety old men. You know, uh-huh. they're not they're not bad people. You know, as we noted before, they related to Ike and Bobby really well. Right. Uh, and and you know, we're we're great for them. But then Victoria comes in first. They're like, what the heck do we do? And for a while there, it's difficult, and Victoria even complains to Maggie, you know, we don't, they don't talk. Right, right. <laughs> Which is is also, you know, it's a very harsh difference between men and women. Like, 
you know, as men, you know, we, we're fine sitting together in silence. You know, we're okay. eating supper. This is exactly what we're doing. You but say for that. Women, it's like, why? <laughs> you say that, but we have a podcast <laughs> that we were going to do once a month for an hour. Uh, and the first two were an hour and a half to two hours. Okay. And then we split it in half because we found <laughs> we couldn't talk for less than two hours. Okay. Maybe the point is that when men get started talking, they stop. <laughs> you just, there's sort of an unstoppering, like with a, right. with a bottle of, uh, certain spirits of, what? of certain kinds. I think that counts as a lot. I don't think it does. Because I'm pretty sure we established in the Shakespeare episode that any mention of any sort of thing well, but in the Shakespeare ABB. episode, we were drinking like wildly diverse things. Right, right. All right, I'll take it as a loss. All right, because it's a loss. Screw you. Yes. But anyway, uh, yeah, maybe when men get unstoppered, we like don't stop. Uh, I don't know. And this this brings up for me like what my sort of the most vexed element for me of. You know, talking about the differences between men and women is, um, in that, you know, there are clear, like, physiological differences between men and women. And I can't help but think that there are then going to be, like, related psychological differences, right? Mm-hmm. Now, that base of logic has led to a lot of stupid crap over the years that is not logically related um, as in this book, exemplified by the Beckmans, right? Um, and I can't say I always know for sure what is what is biologically a difference versus what is culturally a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, Hard distinction to make, right? Uh, now I forgot what point I was making. <laughs> what were we talking about before? The McFerrins and how wonderful they were. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. And how Victoria wanted them to talk and they didn't. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and again, maybe this is a a sort of related to that, that tension I think I mentioned, I think it was last episode between like, um, what is human nature versus what is like culturally inculcated. Sure. Um, and it's much harder for me to, to distinguish in this book than in like an 18th century British novel like Tom Jones that I used as, as an example last episode. Um, you know, whether it's that the men don't talk because of the cultural di- culture they were raised in or because even of their personal background versus whether it's some sort of human nature thing, um, whatever the case may be, like that combination of human nature with cultural influences meant that these men in particular don't talk mm-hmm. and that Victoria in particular needs talking. Yes. Which is just and- one of the most wonderful sort of... I it's guess mini so mini plots, mini arcs yep. within the broader arcs of this and book. And when they do force themselves to talk at Maggie Jones's urging, <laughs> it's about stocks. Right. <laughs> but then the wonderful thing is that's in a sense enough for Victoria. Yep. Well, she you get the impression that she she's just so starved for conversation. <laughs> even... even that is great. Yeah. Uh but then, you know, then too, even after when they're talking about her or to her, they relate her to their experience, which is right. heifers. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then the one who's a little bit more like sensitive than the other, and I can't remember which is which, but 
Um, he's like, you they, can't... They kind of get blurred together. You can't relate her to heifers. Right. <laughs> Women are not cows. Yep. <laughs> Which is very sensitive for, like, a man in that, in that, with that background in that culture, right, I to, think. to kind of realize that. But, yeah. Maybe but, it's But, you not, know, they whatever. also get super protective, and their protective scenes are the scenes where I just tear up. Right. And I, and I will admit, um, and partly this is probably... Like, the fact that the McFerrin brothers remind me of my grandfather who died just a, a couple years ago and, like, is the grandparent that I still miss the most periodically. But, like, multiple scenes in this book just, like, made me weep. And, like, yeah. I didn't know why. Like, you know, usually you have sort of an emotional arc within a scene or within a sure. plot line. And you're like, okay, this is gonna make me cry. And then sometimes it does for me and sometimes it doesn't, but, like, you know that's the intention. But, like, when that happened for me versus when it seemed like it was supposed to happen plot-wise were completely unrelated. Sure. Um, in a way that I've only ever, other than this book, I've only ever experienced that in a Terrence Malick film. Um, the two that I can think of specifically being uh, the movie Tree of Life and mm. the movie To, to the Wonder. Um, and to the wonder, there were parts where I would tear up and then like my wife would walk into the room and be like, why are you crying? And I'd be like, because the little girl was in a Walmart and she <laughs> said everything was very clean here. And it had to do with like the context <laughs> of the movie and like the, sh in, in the movie itself, like the, the cinematography and everything. But it was like, I can't explain it beyond that. And, like, this book, similarly, like, my wife would walk into the room and be like, why are you crying? Well, the old men, they bought her a crib. You you said that when you brought this book in the last... Did I tell you that? Yep. Okay. Yep. And I got to that part, and I was, like, I knew it was coming, and I read it, and I was like, nope, nope, I'm gonna weep anyway. <laughs> I've been so, warned, and it's still gonna happen. Yep. Yeah. So. So there's that. Well, do you have anything else to say about this book? I think I shouldn't because we have to punish me and we have we do to have do to our me. our evaluations and we have to do our closings. Right. All right. So, so you've you've had punishment. okay. So you and and your wife and me and my wife, we both have copies of the game Utter Nonsense. Yes, we do. And I feel like the last three to four recordings, which would be like eight to nine, maybe ten episodes if you count the Shakespeare one. Yeah. You've had the Outer Nonsense box Here's the with thing. you in preparation. Here's the thing. I have adapted my punishment for each book that we've read. Okay. And so it is essentially, at its core, the same punishment. Right. But it manifests itself a little bit differently so based like, on each book. Everything I was saying about human nature versus culture throughout both of the episodes of yeah. this particular book. Correct. Good. Correct. So what I'm going to have you do, Ethan, is pick a card randomly from anywhere in here one of the white cards not one of the not, gold cards okay, not one okay. of the accent cards pick a card so maybe we should should we explain utter nonsense or is it going to become clear we we yeah well let's explain utter nonsense now this is a beautiful 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 game that we are not it's getting wonderful. paid in any way to endorse we are not getting paid to endorse this but by this game it's wonderful it's wonderful so if you've ever played um apples to apples yes. or cards against humanity mm -hmm. it's a similar game structure yeah same concept where you've got a core card that you need to match the cards in your hand and then you've got cards in your hand to match that card so then everyone who play who is playing a given round you get five cards right the white cards mm -hmm. 
And the white cards say, like, ridiculous things on them. Just Sentences, just... paragraphs, you yeah. know, different things. Um, and then the gold cards, which are the, the core cards. Um, the green cards and apples to apples. Yeah, or the black cards and cards against humanity. I think the white cards and cards against humanity. I can't remember. It's one or the other. Um, you'd think I'd be able to remember out of two, but no. Um, <laughs> anyway, so that, that core card... Uh, has an accent has on an it. accent on or it. or a, f- a way of saying things yeah the <laughs> accent the phrase the word accent is defined very loosely in this context yes um but it includes it, things like pooping pooping the accent of pooping yeah <laughs> so. or like oh, there's one it's like nasal or nasal something? yeah yeah or but nerd then they're, they're or nerd there are other ones that are like you know british yeah. or russian yeah. Yeah. or yeah. french or whatever anyway um, so yeah, then out of the five white cards in your hand, you have to pick one of them and say the thing on them in the accent that the gold card has given you. And then yeah. whoever's judging the round out picks of everyone funniest. else who's, who's judging picks the funniest one, which is weird because like people, like people who have backgrounds in theater like us don't always do as well in this game because like yeah. doing an accent accurately and doing an accent in a funny way <laughs> is not always the same thing. It's true. So, anyway. So, all right, what I'm going to have you do is pick a white card. Once again, completely unsolicitedly advertising. Yep. Okay. Please pay us. (laughs) Or just, like, acknowledge us. Acknowledge us would be fine, really. Okay, so I've picked a white card. With that card, what I want you to do is I would like you to sing that card in plain song. Okay, here's what I'm going to admit. I don't know what plain song sounds like. Think okay. Let's let's turn that into something that's maybe more universally familiar. Sing it in Gregorian chant. Okay, that's more or less what my instinct was. So there we are. All right, here I go. That halter with those chicken cutlets. Damn, Shante, you look fierce, girl. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're welcome. <laughs> that's that's good. Very I now good. regret that I didn't lose in some of the previous episodes, to be honest. <laughs> See, isn't this a great punishment? It is a wonderful punishment. It's just been adapted. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. So, uh, with our conversation done and yourself being punished, uh, let's go on to ratings. 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 Uh, what's the first one? Should I um, pull up the script? Should we can, we? but uh, right. the first one is, uh, what did you think of the scotch, Ethan? Alright, so, what do we rate? We rate out of five stars, right? Yes. Okay. It's an inter- I'm gonna give two different ratings. Okay. And I know that's against the rules, but punish me if you must. <laughs> um, don't, don't tempt me. <laughs> so, um... I would say originally tasting this scotch just just as a scotch, it's a good scotch. Mm-hmm. Like if someone gave me this scotch ever, um, you know, for free or whatever, like I would drink it easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had wonderful sort of notes of like vanilla and caramel going on. Um, some mildly like like grassy notes, almost like uh, like herbal notes, I guess. Um, okay, so, 
but like that's sort of all that was going on at first for me um and straight as scotch i would give it like a three and a half out of five now that said um at a certain point it occurred to me to open it up with a little bit of water uh and that's something that's sort of traditional to do with even with single malt scotch um what i've read and what i understand is that it doesn't dilute the flavor it just sort of brings the alcohol burn down and with this being an overproof scotch especially like a hundred proof scotch um what i was getting a lot of when i tasted it straight was that alcohol burn and that that sort of hot um nature to it um and like in the past i've i've had overproof scotch before i've had 90 94 proof scotch and like i've resisted putting water in it just because i like drinking straight scotch but with this one i just decided to experiment i poured water in it and holy crap (laughs) it opened it right up so in addition to those like vanilla and caramel notes once i put it put put some water in there was like there was like a woody like a nutty element to it um and like a clove kind of taste to it um which like i will admit in late college and early grad school i had sort of a clove cigarillo habit and i i don't smoke anymore but like i like that flavor profile and there is definitely some of that there and there's even some just straight up like cigar profile Mm -hmm. flavors going on um and that all opened up once i poured just enough water into it to sort of cut down on the liquor burn um and once that all opened up, I have to say I give it like a four point five mm-hmm. out of five. Wow, very nice. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of you know putting water in scotch, you know I used to think that was kind of a hokey thing, right? To do. Um. In fact, the first time I really did it was after we discussed. Then we came to the end with that Glenfiddich uh, fourteen year yeah. US exclusive scotch. Yeah. Uh after our episode, after we finished discussing the book and everything, uh, after Ethan went home, I took that scotch and I poured myself a glass on my own and I put a little water in it and it added a full half star to wow. that scotch okay. for me. Yeah. Uh just opening it right up. So I will agree with you with this one. Thank you for recommending that I put some water in it. Uh-huh. I did, and as you say, it opened it way up what i got besides like the tobacco and the clove and a little bit of a woody sense there definitely uh, was a little bit of dark fruit okay uh, added in uh on top of this deep honey and vanilla yeah uh that's you know the core of this scotch is a very smoky honey and vanilla honey is the one thing i forgot to say yeah okay yep that that's really the thing that that overpowered it for me and then adding that water to it got a lot of you know, dark fruit, some some tobacco that added to the smoke a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, you know, clove, too, and, and woodiness. Mm-hmm. It, it really enhanced it. Uh, so it's it's amazing. And what's really interesting to me about this scotch is that it's unpeated eyelay. Right. Which, which is a fascinating uh, combination. It's really. so interesting. Yeah. But it works for yeah. this scotch. And so I'm going to agree with you and give it a 4.5. Once the water's in it, right? Once the water's in okay. it. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Which, I, I, you know, I'm just going to count that for it as a whole. Sure. I think if I'm going to drink it, I'm just going to put a little bit of water in it, and yeah. it's going to be a 4.5 for me. And again, 
like this is a hundred proof, right? Yeah, it yeah. is. So yeah, like you know, obviously standard proof is like eighty for whiskey. Yeah, like for people who are drinking whiskey today, um, you know, and an overproof standard is like ninety, maybe ninety four at the most. So a hundred proof is pretty pretty warm pretty good. for any yeah. anybody. Um, so yeah, like putting water in it at that point is like almost essential, I would say, unless you're like really really used to mm-hmm. the the super super liquory type of type of flavor mm-hmm. yeah. um so all right 4.5s all around on this yeah. scottish barley the classic lottie um next would be to rate the book can i suggest an, a, a new rating system yes, please, for the book? because i really don't like binary rating systems i don't i don't either and i was pushing back against it even as early as like uh then we came to the end sure it was like i recommend it for this type of reading sure. not this type my, my suggestion for rating on books is uh-huh. buy borrow forget about it yeah like like that like that very much all right so on that trinary system of uh-huh. buy borrow and forget about it uh, I'm going to rate this book by. Yeah. By this book. You know, even before finding out that it's got, you know, a trilogy around it, that this is the first yeah. in a trilogy, um, even if you don't buy the trilogy, and I think I'm going to buy the trilogy, uh-huh. um, read this book, buy it, and read it again. I think I, we, we kind of hit on that point a few times that this <laughs> deserves another reading. Yeah. Read it again, get those themes out, and just start contemplating those a little more aside from the very simple story that goes through this whole thing yeah just get those themes out and read it a few more times and for that reason alone buy the book own it keep it so i will admit that when i first like assigned this book for this podcast i was not a hundred percent sure that we could get two hours worth of talking out of this book i I was me too okay i was pretty sure we could but you have to remember that at the time, I was fresh off reading it for the first time, and I had just read it a couple, I, I don't remember how long, but a few days at most, before I decided to put it on the, the podcast. And so I was like, does this book have enough legs to discuss? Um, and I decided to take a risk, because, like, what the hell? Sure. Um, and, you know, I'm really, really glad I did, because, you know, as much as I did read it a month plus ago... Most of the scenes in this book are just burned into my brain. Um, that, you know, to the point As that, if by like, light. Yeah. What? What? Um, camera obscura, there's a, there's an eclipse tomorrow. Anyway. <gasps> um, yeah. Just Too timely. <laughs> right. So, like, my recommendation for this book is buy, 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 buy. Not only buy it for yourself, buy three more copies and, like, give it to everyone that you love. I will echo that. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Share this book. Read it. Share it. Own it. Read it again. Share it again. Own it again. Yeah. Buy Um, copies for yourself. (laughs) Which is almost how I treat Lost in the Cosmos that we discussed a couple months ago, is that, like, I've gone through multiple copies of that book where I bought it gave it to someone, needed it, bought it again, gave it away <laughs> to someone else, bought it again. You know, like, uh, that's that's just how this book is, too, I think. Yeah. Um, just just keep, you know, getting it out there. Um, you know, to, uh, I learned recently, to my great sorrow, that Kenta Ruff died a couple years ago. Yeah, but, like, just keep, 
keep distributing it. Keep going. Keep yes. pushing it. And then, you know, probably even read the next two books in the series. What, yeah. The next one's Even Song? Is that what it is? Even Tide, I believe. Even Tide. Okay. I just bought it uh, the other you know, so day. It's a liturgical tri- it. trilogy. Yeah. So because Flame the third Song, one, Even Tide, and Benediction, Benediction. is the third one. So, which is like a perfect conclusion to a trilogy. Gentle listener. May I say. <laughs> yeah, any trilogy, really. But gentle listener, if you doubted any of the religious like analyses that we did in this episode, just remember the fact that the third book in this trilogy is called Benediction. I will be reading those next two books. Yeah, I will too. Definitely. Okay. So, Scotch book pairing, Ethan, what do you think? Um, I really liked it. I think that, you know, the, the sort of barley, the sort of farmy nature of the scotch, the, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that I, I haven't met very many actual Scotsmen, but all the ones that I have met, I've discussed crops with. <laughs> um, just really just sort of swings into the scotch, into this book. I think the McFerrin brothers, if they met a Scotsman, would be able to discuss crops and, and trade with them for hours. Um, you know, just, just a perfect pairing, I think. Good. Can I tell you why I picked this scotch? Absolutely. For this book? Yeah. Because it's an unpeated Islay. Okay. So defined by the negative. So <laughs> just like plain song is defined by, uh, what's it, what's it, what is it? Sort of the lack of harmony. Say, the yeah, lack the lack of, of a... harmony. Um, the unadorned, that's Unadorned, yeah. Unadorned. Uh, so that's the reason I picked it. Uh, and I had eyed it before. Uh, sure. the Brickletic has been on my radar for a little while and I've been sure. wanting to try it. Um, but it seems to me that it was just perfect for this sure. episode. And I must say I am not disappointed, uh, in it. You know, just the fact that it starts out very simple. Right. But gets more complex, uh, and really opens up just like this book. It's very simple. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but really is complex when you think about it. Yeah. And, you know, I'll echo the fact, too, what you said, that you weren't sure that we could talk about this for two hours. And I was kind of feeling the same way. Like, I loved the book, but I right. don't know if I could talk about it for two hours. But, but I, I definitely can. At this point, I feel like we could talk about it for two more hours. <laughs> at least. Easily. So, yeah. So, would you like to know what we're reading next month? I would. It's also hidden in this room. But I'm you... not going to make you work for it. But... <laughs> Okay. I'm going to get it myself. It's over here. If I can find it. Here it is. Nope, that's not it. Nope, this is it. Michael is failing and also dying this right at this moment. This is your copy, Ethan, of our book for next month. Oh. Okay. It so is. You've more or less. Also, as I flipped through it, the first phrase I looked at was coughing and farting. <laughs> so that's a good sign. It occurs in this book, yes. I'm sure it does. Um, you have been bo- recommending both this book and this author for a long time. Yes. Um, so, so it is The House it? of Special oh, Purpose by John Boyne. Yes. Um, um, and I have been recommending this for a while. Yeah, and I actually have, on your recommendation... Oh, I didn't realize he wrote The Boy in the Striped Pajamas. Yes, and that is where I was first introduced to him. Uh, I took my wife on a date, and we went and watched The Boy in the Striped Pajamas in theaters uh, before she was my wife, and she stayed with me after watching it. Um, (laughs) Because we were the last two people in the theater, and we sat there just bawling our eyes out after watching that movie. And we found out after watching the movie that it was based on a book. And so we went and bought the book and read it and 
decided that we had to read more John Boyne, and this sure. is the second John Boyne novel that I have read. So yes, I have okay, read this. What book is before. the other one? Um, Boy in the Striped Pajamas was the first one I read. Oh, okay. And then this one, and then I have also read The Absolutist okay. by John Boyne. I own The Absolutist. Oh, okay. On your recommendation, I've just found it at a used bookstore or something. Sure. So I have that one. Let um, me say... I know that you always recommend this one first. Yes. So I'm and actually quite excited to read this. That is the order that I will recommend things in, is The House of Special Purpose first, then, in fact, Boy in the Striped Pajamas, okay. and The Absolutist third, out of the three books that I have read by John Boyne. Sure. The Absolutist is good. Uh, I think it has some flaws. Uh, I think it's not anything that I ever need to reread. Sure. But The House of Special Purpose... I think I could reread just about every year and be okay with it. I have only read it once, so I will see after reading it a second time yeah. uh, how I still feel about it. But that is what we will read next month, The House of Special Purpose by John Boyne. Excellent. Um, but you, gentle listener, already know that if you've listened you to our last episode or followed our, our stuff on the inner inner stuff. The inter... Inter things. Inter things. Um, yeah. You, the spider you know webs. That? The spider webs. The inter spiders. Inter stupor spiders. <laughs> spider stupors. Spider spiders. Stupor spider webs. Stop. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> I was I was on a on a circular track and you pulled me off and I appreciate that. You're welcome. All right. So as you're reading it, feel free to join the discussion. Uh, visit us at our website tapestryradio.org. Find Michael and Ethan in a scotch. Michael and Ethan in a, in a, scotch. Room, in a room with, with scotch. scotch. There. Michael and Ethan in a scotch would be a very different episode. <laughs> very, very different. Very different podcast. Um, but give us your comments on the book, on the scotch, on any other book that we've discussed. Uh, you can go to the contact section on the tapestryradio.org website or comment on any of the episodes. You can also do that uh, on the our Facebook page or Twitter uh, when we post the episode. Just comment on it, retweet, whatever you want to do. Yeah, um, we have multiple... Facebook pages, we have Michael and Ethan in a room with Scotch independently. We have the mm-hmm. Tapestry Radio Network page where all our episodes get mm-hmm. sort of reposted. So any of that, you know, any of yep. that that, like, you comment on, we will see it. We will respond we will. on here, if not on there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, all of that is, is worth doing. Uh, in addition, please, if you really, if you like what we do here... Um, give us a review on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Podknife, yep. on Pod, uh, Podcast, Podcast Addict. Addict, any of the places that we appear, like your reviews. As I understand the way podcasts work, like, um, your reviews, like, just are the main thing to get us out to other people, yeah. to recommend us to other people. Like, if you don't want to talk to other people about our podcast, just review us, yeah. and other people will find out about our podcast. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at, at Room with Scotch. Or at Tapestry Radio for the network as a whole. Yeah. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at M-G-L-I-L-I-E-N-T-H-A-L. You can find me on Twitter at at Bjartlett, B-J-A-R-T-L-E-T-T. Uh, I don't post a whole lot, but like if you post at me, I hopefully probably will respond. Hopefully, probably. Hopefully, um, probably. You know, in addition, we do have our Tapestry Radio Network that this show is a part of. Um, with other shows. With other shows. We have Intermission, our fiction 
uh, sort of scripted fiction audio drama podcast, yep. uh, which will have new episodes eventually, probably. It'll happen. It'll happen one way or another. Um, we have Roll to Amble, our uh, D&D 5th edition real play podcast. Uh, do you want to do Pokemon Rollout? Yeah, Pokemon Rollout is our Pokemon Tabletop United RPG real play podcast. Uh, and we're coming up on our 20th episode on that one, so that'll nice. be fun. Um, I have, uh, apart from the network, I have a webcomic that I um, write the script for, which is called Pinporter Girl Detective. For all those of you who like uh, no, film noir and also fairy <laughs> tales, um, it's a really good, really good webcomic. You're welcome, um, three people. Exactly. <laughs> um, we are nearing the end, or probably by the time this goes up, we'll be well past the end of our second chapter. Our first chapter is available in hard copy on Etsy. Etsy, thank you. I couldn't remember the name of the thing. Um, our second chapter is available online. We're just finishing that up. We should be, by the time this airs, probably starting the third chapter, but what a great time Woo-hoo! to catch up. Yeah. Or start and go all the way through. Um, I would recommend it. It's, it's uh, you know, the, the artist, uh, Robin, is really, really good at her art, and also I write words on it. So, yep, that happens. Um, that's the um, thing. You can also go to my blog where I review stuff. It's at peculiartaste.wordpress.com, uh, and I review I review scotch, I review chocolate, I review coffee, I review plays, I review all sorts of stuff. Uh, so if you like what we do on this podcast, it's kind of a broader form of that sort of thing. So... Very good. All right. Well, Ethan, enjoy that book in the next month. I shall. We'll talk about it soon. And we hope you will too, gentle listener. Uh, In the meantime, we have been Michael and Ethan in a room with Scotch.
Obscurantism and obfuscation. Orally observed, gentle listener, obviated objects of oblivion obambulating about, offered unto you in the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org, from our fancy to yours. (laughs) 